Lord, we thank you. We thank you, yes, Lord, we do. Right now in this moment, Lord, huh, we know that we're truly blessed. Yes, we are, yeah. yeah. Oh, we're grateful, Lord. Yes, there are so many that have gone on the glory. But for whatever reason, Lord, you decided to keep us here, eh? To uplift your holy name, to spread your holy gospel. Ha! Never! Never take for granted the moments you're here on this planet to spread his word. A, a moment to be a blessing to others. Amen. You're right. Amen. You're right. You're right about it. so grateful for Reggie Yarbrough's commitment to this church congregation is a wonderful blessing to us. Thank God for him and what he's done through all these years. Thank God. Whole musical staff, I, I often wonder, thank God, yes. T and her devotion. Mm -hmm. Dwayne. Yes. Dwayne coming here on two wheels. Yes. Literally. Yes. On that motorcycle. Lord bless but he getting here. It's just favor God has given us. We thank God for me. And they're part of the ministry too. That's another thing, you know. They, they don't just work for us. They do that. They love us and live with us and celebrate with us and sacrifice for us too and come to places. I'm not, you know, one of them preachers that go a whole lot of places. But when I ask, they support. That's a blessing. God's been good to us. He's been good to me. I couldn't have designed it so. 
couldn't have designed it, so I'm just overflowing with gratitude. Cut myself out. When I got up to celebrate with some folks during our period of greeting, I ran into one of our babies in the church, Kelly's back there. Kelly came over to me, she was moving. Cause she had good news. Good news that she got a baby. And she won't even know about Kayana. Kayana's back there. Is that right? Say it, say her name. Zayana. Lord have mercy. I tried. What? I tried. Kelly, Kayana, y'all come here, come on. Go to the meaning of the story. Just go to the meaning of the story. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Tell Zion I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> By the time we baptize, I'll be able to pronounce it. <laughs> been in this sermon series that's been, I think, going well. We've been talking about sermons that can you can hear and, and they can change your whole perspective on how you see how you see your walk and your witness and call sermons that change the world or change you. And so last week we had the opportunity to celebrate and talk about the parable of the lost son. Yeah. And I should make that plural, not just son, but sons. You know why if you were here. One was lost and left and one was lost and stayed. Yeah, you can be lost in the house and outside the house. All right. And we learned about how loving God is, how God never gives up on us. It doesn't matter how atrocious our behavior is, when you're God's child, he's always waiting on you to come back home. That's, 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 the, that's the moral of that story, the imperative of that story is... You can't ever get to a place where you can't come home. All right? You, you can always come home. Amen. Always. You need to tell your children that. I, when my kids went off to, to school, knowing, knowing my behavior in college and when I was growing up, I had to have a conversation with them and tell them, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do that will ever be a barrier to you coming back home. Ever. Nothing. Nothing. I might not like it. All right? It may crush me to know that you were a part of that or in it. But you can always come back home. Yeah. Why is that important? That's important because you can get out there and be, and as they say, life be life. Oh, yeah. And you're making bad choices, and you get to a place where you think, I've done this, and they don't want to be around me no more. And I can't come home. There's a lot of folk out there right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just stuck behind the phone call to come back home. My goodness. They, they won't, they're so embarrassed, ashamed of what they've done. They just won't call mom and dad or whoever to come back home. And I didn't want my children in that space. Whatever you do, you can come home. 
and then we'll deal with it. Amen. We'll deal with it. And I, and I came to tell you right now, I wish, you know, I was smart enough to come up with that, but that's just Bible. Oh, yeah. That's the law. You can always come back home. And so we get to this next, this next parable that I think is, is full of inst good instruction. It's in Matthew chapter 25. Verses 1 through 13. Jesus told his parable. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. Okay. All right. Ten virgins. The ten, ten virgins teaches us another timeless truth or maybe I should say some timeless truths that you need to make sure you understand about your walk and your relationship with the Lord over the last 20 years my television viewing habits have changed a little bit <laughs> not much I'm still an avid TVer. It's my escape from the reality of what's going on. I, I like to watch TV. I grew up watching and learning different things from watching TV. That's what it's for. You can learn a lot of bad things, but you can learn a lot of good things too in those little boxes. But one of the things that's been consistent in my view viewing habits is I like detective shows. Yeah, I like them. For the last five, ten years or so, well, since the advent of Prime and Netflix and all that, I've, I've been introduced to the genre of British detective shows. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of shows on my list that I watch on a regular basis. If you need some ideas, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, I'm serious. You many hours of TV viewing. Karen, I've even got Karen watching a few of them. We have some that we like a lot. But back some years ago, before I got into all of the boxes, the Netflix and all that, there were two shows that I watched on a regular basis. Some were kind of nostalgic. One was Diagnosis Murder. Mm-hmm. With Dick Van Dyke. I don't know why I'm always watching Dick Van Dyke shows. <laughs> Grew up on him. And, uh, and he's a doctor in that anyway. I mean, it's just crazy. But. And the other was Law and Order. I like Law and Order. Law and Order now has about 15 or 20 franchises. It, you know, they just came out with Law and Order West End. I mean, it just... <laughs> <clears throat> they keep coming up with stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you watch it. It's going to be on Freebie TV. Or... Yeah. Y'all know, you hear that little doom doom. You'll be running trying to pop that popcorn at night and watch it. But anyway, Law and Order and. and one night I was watching, happened to be one diagnosis murder, and then I flipped it and saw 
Law and Order episode. And ironically, both of them had similar themes that night. It's crazy how that works sometimes. And, uh, and the first one I was watching on Diagnosis Murder, um, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with the man, only to discover that the secret to his problem was that someone had secretly injected him with something that they didn't know about. They finally figured out that the reason he was behaving the way he was, this happens a lot, is somebody, somebody had given him some drug and, um, that had caused, his, that caused the main problem. And then I flipped to Law and & Order, and lo and behold, the whole show was about this man who was on trial because he was alleged to have injected somebody with something. I'm saying, Lord, what, you, what, what is this about injection that you're trying to say to me, right? And so, in preparing this message, I don't know why those came to mind that that there's something about injection that we need to know when it comes to this scripture. But in reality, the Lord told me that that's the essence of what we're talking about right here. Let me see if I can make this plain to you and get on, get on out of this. When you look at what God did to creation after he made this ball of us and all the activity that we are, he watched it from afar to see if we could handle the instructions that he had given us. Now, we know from reading that even though he was from afar, he enjoyed the company of the creation because he walked through the garden talking to Adam and Eve and fellowship with them. But being God, there's certain standards that he had to keep. You know, I'm good with the creation that I made as long as it stays in a certain state. But then here comes the servant, the serpent. You know, he was more cunning than the others. And he convinced Adam and Eve to change the character of the creation by what they basically did was replace God as the one who told them what to do, and the serpent became the one they listened to. Yeah, it's right there in Genesis. I'm not making any of this up. And what happened when that decision was made by Adam and Eve, there's no timeline that you can point to. There's no moment in creation story that you can point to but what happened was the nature of God's creation changed because sin came into the world. And when sin came into the world, that meant God's presence here was pushed away. Now, what does this have to do with these messages? But God still loved his creation. And so he kept trying to send messages to his creation saying, do this and get back in right relationship with me. Follow these guidelines and get back in right relationship with me. And man tried and failed and tried and failed. So God used his ultimate Chris weapon. And he, watch this now, injected himself into creation. 
like somebody came and took a holy hypothermic needle and put Jesus in it and took the earth and shot Jesus into the earth. All right. Jesus came to be with us, but not only were we injected with Jesus, Cass, he was immersed in creation. He became a part of us. Just like there's some, there's some grant, there's some denominations when you become a member and they baptize you, they take water and they sprinkle it over your head. We believe as Baptists that the, the baptism you need is a full immersion. All right? All the way, what I tell you, bend your knees and you're going to go all the way under the water, right? We immerse you. It's a symbolic death. It means I'm grant the sinner before I go under the water. And when I come out of the water, I'm grant the saved one. That's the symbolism of baptism, okay? Jesus Christ came and he was in, he was, Jesus Christ was injected by God into the creation so that God could show that a man could be born and live down here without sin. And the only way it could be a true test is if Jesus came and did the same thing we have to do. Couldn't have anything that we don't have access to. And it's true. Jesus Christ used the Holy Spirit, his relationship with the Lord, and his right living to prove that for 33 odd years, he could live down here. He came. Now, that's the basis of this story. The basis of this parable is that Jesus Christ came because God sent him to us. The main thing you need to know about that before you accept that gift is that he's coming back again. All right? He came the first time. We didn't appreciate him. We crucified him, killed him, put him on the cross, Ingrid. He left here, not in the same condition that he came. He left here after being resurrected. Holy one. We say that all the time, right? Holy one. Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. That's love. He loved us enough to be crucified. And God loved him enough to resurrect him. And then he went back to glory, to heaven, with God and his resurrected body. And those of us who are in the faith cast, we believe that. Yeah, if you believe that, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, herein lies the question. If you believe that, then you have to always, every day, live in a state of anticipation. And the anticipation is that he is coming back again. Somebody need to walk with me on this now. Your life ought to reflect that you anticipate every day, any day now, Jesus Christ is coming back again. That's what you have to know. You have to appreciate that. And therein comes the parable of the ten virgins. 
Okay, let me see if I can read it for you so you can understand what Jesus was trying to tell people. Because what Jesus was telling people in the parable of the ten uh, virgins is exactly what I'm trying to tell you today. He said, starting at verse 1, chapter 25, it's probably displayed for you. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. All right, trim their lamps simply means lit their lamps. They lit their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Verse 9, they said, no, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I will tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Kind of leaps off at the page, right? So while it's leaping out at you, let me tell you what this parable is not. This is not a parable that tells you you can lose your religion okay. once you have it. That's not what this is. I want to make that plain at the outset. That's not what Jesus is trying to say right here. All right? He's not saying that. So let me give you some background on how weddings were, Jewish weddings at that time. It was a magical thing. All right? Because People would, uh, the whole town would celebrate when, when there, was, there was going to be a wedding. The whole town would celebrate. But not everybody in the community got an invitation. All right? That's just how it is. I mean, while the whole community might celebrate the joy of a union, groom couldn't feed the whole city. All right? This just couldn't happen. And so... There had to be some determination on who in the world would actually be invited to the celebration. Now, remember, when we're talking about who the community is here, we're talking about Jews first. And then we're talking about Gentiles. Those are people who are not in the Jewish faith. So, in other words, that would be us, right? All the rest of us who were not born into the Jewish nation. The sermon that's... Uh, the, the foundation of this sermon 
centers around events that are going to take place in the future. Okay? In the beginning of chapter 24, I'll give you this, Jesus talks about the events that will give advanced warning about the end of the world. And that's what I'm here to tell you about. you got to get yourself together because he's coming. Everybody say, he's coming. Yeah. Then he changes his focus at the end of chapter 24, and he talks about the events that are going to take place that precede the next injection of God. The next injection, not the first one. We've already had the first injection, all right, into history. We call that the second coming of Christ, all right? Because the first coming, he's already been here. Yeah, Mary had a little lamb, all right? He's been here, but he's coming back again. And then starting in chapter 25, which is where we are, this is when he starts to tell three stories about the second coming of Christ. The focus of the first story is the virgins that we're talking about, okay? Which tells us we've got to be ready at all times for this injection to take place. And so looking at this sermon, there are three ways for us to be ready for him to come, okay? In the weddings of Jesus' day, the focus, unlike today, was not on the bride. No bridezillas of those times. All right, no TV shows focusing on brides. No, it was on the bridegroom, the focus was. It was the groom who footed the bill for everything. It was the groom's occasion to make merry and bright. It was the groom's responsibility to show off, if you would, for all the family and friends who were going to come. And the entire wedding was done on his terms, okay? The entire wedding was done on his, time, on his terms, all right? But regardless of that, weddings back then, this is another one, were held at night. They were held at night. Why is that? Because we were in an agrarian society. That people were farming. You had to work in the day. You had to take care of your farm. We, we celebrated in the evening after we had done the bulk of the work. So it makes sense that these kind of celebrations be done at night. And if they're going to be done at night, then that means you're going to have lanterns. You're going to have to have lamps in order for you to be able to see. At any time during the week that the wedding was to take place, the bridegroom could show up. No one knew when he and his bridal par- and his party would show up with all his family and friends. They would show up to claim the bride. They didn't know, which meant that you had to be ready at any time. Everybody say, got to be ready. Yeah. When the groom claimed the bride, then the bride and the groom would walk together to the site of the wedding when he came. And they would take the longest route possible because, of course, they wanted everybody to see them in the, in the community and celebrate with them. There'd be different groups of people standing out, celebrating on the corners or on the streets or pathways, waiting on him to join the party as the parade came along. If you didn't have your lamp lit and ready, you couldn't join the party when it came along. If you had a light in your hand, 
that meant you had been invited to the party. All right? That was a sign. If you got a lamp in your hand, that means you had an invitation to the wedding. If you did not have one, that meant you were a party crasher if you tried to come in. I'm just telling you what the history was at that time. That's the background of this story. Now let's look at the three ways that you got to prepare. This, this applies to us too. Know this, this is, this, is, this is critical. You can accept the invitation and not prepare for the wedding. All right? You know it's true. Some of us get invitations to events all the time, and we never get ready for the event itself. Come on, we, don't, we might not get ready at all. All right, for whatever reason, many of us have accepted the invitation to Christ's party, but we don't get ready for it. We don't get dressed up. We don't get a special uh, outfit. We don't get ourselves together. Come on, now you know what it takes to get ready to go to something you really want to go to. You got to go get your hair did. All right, you got to go get you a cut, a nice trim somewhere if you still got hair. And if not, you got to shave it. That's just how it is. I mean, that's the reality. If you're going to get ready to go, you're going to make time in your schedule. Somebody hear me now. To prepare to go. You're going to buy whatever resources you need in order to go and if it's at night, there's certain things you're going to need at night. And that's what this parable is all about. This parable said that those who have been invited made preparation to be ready when the bridegroom came. They got their lamp together. The lamp was nothing but a stick with a bowl in it that held the lamp oil and it had a, a wick coming out of it, something that would burn. Because it was so small, you can see this, even if we don't use the lamps right now, and I'm going to put it in a modern context in a second, even uh, uh, the bowl would only hold so much oil. All right, and so if you're going to be properly prepared, you're not only going to have the lamp oil that's in there, you're going to have another container of oil just in case the one you have goes out. Make it, make it today, Andre. That means you got your your flashlight, but you got some extra batteries too. Today, not just the batteries you have in the flashlight, but if you're really getting ready to make sure that everything is in order, you're gonna have some extra ever-energizer, whatever it is, you're gonna have some ever-ready energizer, some kind of batteries to put in there. This parable, Reggie says that the wise virgins had extra oil ready. The foolish ones only had the oil in their lamp, and by the time the bridegroom came, because he was on his own clock, they had already burned up oil in their lamps, and they were not prepared to go. Now, let me ask you this. How many of y'all are making preparation? in case the bridegroom takes a long time to come. How many of us have just accepted the invitation? I got it. 
I don't know where it is, but uh, but I got it. I got it, and um, but you're not doing anything else to prepare for his coming. What does that mean, Andre? That means I'm not participating, I'm not fueling myself for his eventual coming. I'm not giving myself any extra energy, Casanova. How do I get extra energy to be prepared? I get it through praying. I get it through reading the Bible, strengthening myself. This is fuel for my Christian walk. I'm waiting on him, but it's an active waiting. All right, it's not a passive waiting. I didn't just accept my invitation and sit on it. No, no, I got the invitation, and I'm making preparation to be available when the bridegroom comes along. In the parable of these, of these foolish virgins, there were some who were doing things as they were waiting, and then there were five who weren't doing anything. Watch this, Matthew 22 and 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there that was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Can I tell you something? Of the ten versions, every one of them had an invitation. Every virgin had an invitation. Some were prepared to go. Now, you're not going to like this when I say it. If you're not getting ready, are you really saved? If you're not doing anything after you get the invitation, then I think you have to question whether or not you truly are in the faith. Because how do you take the invitation and then do nothing with it? You don't ever strengthen yourself. You don't ever put yourself in place to learn more or be prepared when the bridegroom comes. There's just some folk who think all they ever have to do is raise their hand and say, I want to be in the body of Christ, and that's it. They don't ever do anything else to be a part, an active part of the kingdom of God. And what this parable is saying is you got to be preparing, actively doing a part of the body. You got to have extra fuel, fuel and extra fuel when he comes. Y'all don't want to hear me. I didn't expect to hear no amens on this because you have to look in the mirror on this one. All right. And you have to ask yourself, am I doing anything? than putting the invitation on my mirror and looking at it every day. What am I doing? Am I helping anybody else learn about the invitation? Is my household in possession of an invitation? Are my neighbors in possession of an invitation? Am I making sure that everybody in my family has an invitation. There's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. And if you've got the invitation, you ought to be sharing that good news 
with somebody else. The purpose of these parables is to teach us what genuine faith looks like. Genuine faith looks like, all right? Parables in chapter 25 tell us about the wise and foolish virgins. That's the first one. Tonight when you go home, you're going to read about the next part of that, or sometime, you're going to read about the next part of the chapter. It, it talks about the parable of the talents that were given in verse 14. All right? That's a great one. That's a great one because it talks about how God distributes abilities and gifts and who he gives it to because he's given all of us something. And the question is, are we using it like we're supposed to? And then the last part of it, he talks about the parable of the sheep and the goat. Now, who's going to determine who gets separated? Him. He does the separating. But it talks about how we, we, we'll, we'll put somebody in heaven and hell in a minute. Based on how we look at them and, and what they do. And I came to tell you right now that that job just belongs to Jesus Christ. He's the only one. You can't look at somebody and tell, and tell whether they're in the body of Christ and whether they're faithful or not because it's not based on what they got on and it's not based on how they talk and how they pray. They can be as devout as they can be and not fit any model you think about. And that's why you don't want anybody down here with the button that says whether you go to heaven or hell. No, no, that's left up to him and him alone. But he's coming. Everybody say he's coming. The question is, are you going to be ready? That's what these parables are about. You can accept the invitation. I walk down the aisle, and that's the last place I walk for the Lord. I don't do nothing in church. I don't do nothing to help the congregation grow. No, I don't give. Come on now. I got to figure out how my faith is exemplified. How am I supporting and helping somebody else in this witness and walk? It's my responsibility to do that. Can I, can I get real with you on the topic this morning? Say yes. yes. There's some raggedy stuff going on in our community. But won't nobody call it we got a generation of young folk that just don't care. Who fault is it? Is it theirs? Or is it their parents? Nobody's, nobody's standing up and saying, I was an awful parent. No, no, nobody's saying that. I failed to teach the things that are important to my children, and so they're stuck on lesser things. And maybe we shouldn't expect children to come out and say, my mom and daddy was awful. But somebody has stopped doing what they're supposed to be doing. And we blame everybody. We blame everybody else. We blame poverty. Black folk been poor before. But we didn't kill each other like this. We didn't take advantage of each other like this. We didn't mistreat each other like this. And we were poor and poor. In fact, it seemed like we were closer when we didn't have nothing. We keep blaming every time I go somewhere, somebody want to jam me up about stuff. They say, well, where the church? That's the jam right now. 
They want to blame the church. They want to blame preachers everywhere we go. Everywhere I go, that's the conversation. It's like, I don't know what preacher's talking for. What y'all doing? It's a simple, simple response, but it sounds flip when I say it. All right. Do you bring them? <laughs> Do they participate in church? You want us up in your house? Yeah. You, you, you blaming us? That's like blaming school when you won't send them to school. Not only will you not send them to school, you won't make them behave when they're at school. But you're going to blame the teachers for not doing what, what needs to be done. How can you teach when a child cussing you out all day, every day? As one teacher friend I, I, I know said, they cuss and can't spell it. She told him, you, 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 just spell what you just said and you won't be in trouble. Just spell it. Spell whatever you just said. Just, just spell it. And they can't even spell it. But they know how to cuss you out. Good. Grown cussing. I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. I just spent last Friday night with 125 kids from Birmingham School System locked in to a rec uh, recreation center. Now, I don't know who would lock in, me or them. <laughs> but we were there, and two weeks before that, it was girls. This time it was boys. Two weeks before that, it was locked in with 125 girls. I'm gonna go say this, and I know this recorded too. I'm gonna say this. The boys were 100% better than the girls. 100% better than the girls. It was almost like a vacation with the boys. No issues, but the girls, from the moment we got there, it was almost a threat of fighting all night, all night long. It was, it was just all, whose responsibility is that? Whose fault is that? Yeah, you can't just have a child. You got to raise a child. And you can't raise a child by yourself. It takes the entire village to help you raise your child. Yeah, yeah. We have more communication and less community. Less, less. We've got to do something different. And all I'm telling you to bring this point home is you can accept the invitation, the activity, and then not do anything with it. Nothing. You got the invitation from the Lord. Now we got work to do. It's not passive, it's active. Faith that doesn't prepare isn't faith at all. Faith that doesn't sacrifice and obey isn't faith at all. Faith that doesn't love and reach other people isn't faith at all. Just putting on the t-shirt doesn't mean you follow the Lord. You have to actively, actually do that. And that means that's just the metaphor of having your lamp trimmed and ready. It's work. And then having a reserve. These three parables simply tell us what real faith looks like. All right? Watch this now. That's one. Second thing is this. And I'm gonna, you can't borrow preparation. You cannot borrow preparation. Preparation. 
No, no, no. No, if you're going to be ready for the next injection of the Lord when he comes, and he's coming. Y'all said it two times before. He's coming. All right. Dion got him said up there in Colorado. That ain't the same. He got him saying, we coming. All right. But I'm here to tell you, he's coming. He's coming. Question is, will you be ready? And you can't borrow. That's what this is about now. The people who are wise prepare ahead of time. You can't borrow preparation. I love, I love what I'm watching around the country when I see these young, young athletes getting together for the next season. I, I don't really care about what happens when they get to the season. I like the preparation. I like to see the ones grinding and working hard. We had one this past weekend, we had a young man there. He plays for Seattle. He's been in the league now. He plays in the NFL, National Football League. For you. He plays for Seattle now. He's been there for three years. You can look at him and tell he's an athlete. He's a specimen when he comes in. I mean, he's fit. I asked him about his, I said, we, he was talking to the kids. I said, tell him about your workout regimen. He said, basically, I work out all day, every day. He's been in the league now for six or seven years. Six or seven years, he played for three NFL teams, plays cornerback, all right? His name is Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, Michael Jackson, and he's from Birmingham. Birmingham, grew up on the western side of town. He straight out tells me, he said, school wasn't for me. He said, I didn't do well in school. I didn't even like school. He said, but I figured out early on that I could play football. And I figured out that that was going to have to be my ticket up out of there. And he said, so I put everything in it. Played football for the University of Miami. He is a good example of what you have to do because his whole life is in preparing for what he wants to do, and that is playing football. It ain't what the kids think. It ain't just a highlight reel when you're taking pictures. It's the grind when you're getting ready all day, every day. It's the McDonald's you ain't eating. It's the Taco Bell you ain't going to. Yeah, yeah, it's the diet that you have to prepare and stick to it every day of your life, not just Monday through Friday. It's the business of it. Even though he wasn't good in school, he got to learn how to deal with his own contracts, have somebody support him in that. So you better prepare in that respect. And it was a great opportunity for the kids, and they did, to ask him about really playing football. And he told them for real. He said, I said, can you tell them what the coaches look for? He said, yeah, man, I can tell you right now. He said, have these kids in here say they want to play football. He said, if this was scouts in here right now, they'd have already marked most of them off their list. Because everything you do matters. Paying attention when somebody's talking matters. And they're looking at that. They want people, they ain't got to correct you all the time. You can't be no distraction to the team. You got to be disciplined enough to sit up. And so mom and daddy, y'all might be walking around saying, you know, he, he's a little hyperactive. They don't care. They don't care. Yeah, put that on the application when you sign up for a job. Yeah, yeah, my mama say I'm hyperactive. All right. You go tell your mama to pay you. Oh, you think I'm joking? I mean, we allow all these things to be a part of who they become as they grow up. And we think the world is going to turn around and do the same thing. And that's why they're still sleeping on them Woody and Toy Story sheets in your bedroom. They, they have not grown up because you won't make them grow up. They're not preparing for life. 
It's a metaphor to what Jesus said. You got to prepare. You got to be ready, and you can't borrow preparation. Everybody want to hold up the championship. Come on, Cam, but not everybody on your team worked hard. Not everybody on the team worked hard. Not everybody on your team worked on the weekends where they didn't have to. Stayed late after school. Stayed up late doing homework. Not everybody was willing to do that. But everybody want to say they part of the ship. Part of the ship. I won. Can I tell you right now, you can't borrow preparation. You can't borrow stamina when you got to run all day. You can't do it. Either you're ready or you're not ready. And then the last thing I want to tell you, because this preparedness means something. And it's not just in the context of sports. It's in the context of everything. The first time I took the bar exam, I, I, I failed it. I failed it. I know exactly why I failed it. I didn't, because I didn't prepare properly. I didn't. Did not prepare properly. I graduated from, May, from law school in May of 2000. Oh, not, <laughs> 2000. <laughs> in May of 1988, and I had a job, and I had a six-month-old baby, and a son who was four, two, five, five. I had a full plate. I had a wife and children, which means that when I graduated from law school, not working was not an option. I had to work. Even though I had to take the bar exam, I had to work. And so, the sacrifice and the benefit, God was blessing me the whole time because they gave all the minority students at Alabama when we graduated, they had some grant money. Uh, Mason, you'll appreciate this. And so they gave all of us Barbary review courses free. So I didn't have to pay for that. That was about a $600 value at the time that I would not have had, but I got it free. That meant I could get all my bar review free, books and everything. So God was helping me. And I still didn't stop working until sometime in June, all right, prepare for the test at the end of July. It, it, the formula just don't work. You can't put that much preparation in that period of time. And so when I showed up at the bar exam, still had to pay, still had to do everything else. I didn't pass. I didn't pass. I was, there was two things that were important. One, I, had to, I was going to the Army because I had an ROTC scholarship. And the Army said, you're going to give us our four, whether you do it as a lawyer or whether you do it in the infantry, but you coming up in here. Yeah. Dunnett didn't want to go in the in infantry, all right? But I had to have passed the bar exam to be a JAG officer. So I'm sorry. Britain hadn't been born yet, but she was pregnant, all right? But, and that's important. That's important because Brittany was born in December. The next bar exam after I didn't pass, I found out in September that I didn't pass. That's when the results came out from July. So I'm, I'm upset. And if I, if I tell the truth, I couldn't legitimately be upset because I knew I hadn't done everything I needed to do. I came really, really close on my ability. That wasn't enough. Now, I got a law degree in my pocket. We didn't all celebrate it. We didn't have to cook out everything. And you know, everybody from the world perspective, they think, I'm a, he a lawyer. No, no, I'm on the doorstep, all right? I need to go in. <laughs> I need to go in the door. I, I'm at, I can't get in the door because I don't have a ticket to get in. The, so got to have a new strategy. Got to prepare. 
circumstances still the same. Still the same. Child, wife, house got to be taken care of, but I got to do something different. So Brittany was born December 21st, 1988. I was working for a law firm, Whitehurst and Whitehurst, Paul and Kitty. I'll always be grateful to them because they were really, really kind to us. At the end of December, I stopped working. Didn't have any other source of income coming in. I said, but I got to prepare for this, this bar exam. And I got to be ready for this bar exam at the end of February. All right, so we got, we got about 60 days to, for me to get ready. New baby. Thank God for WIC. All right. Yeah, that's, hey, I'm going to tell you, that's cheese, eggs, milk, butter, all that. I ain't got to pay for I had a car, credit card, Carol. Yeah, $600 credit on it. We lived on the money I had left from stopping at the end of December and that credit card until the end of February. And I got up every day during the week for those next eight weeks and I went to the library like I was going to work. And I studied from eight to five. I took my little, my little sandwich from the house and I stopped around noon and I had lunch. And, I, and, I, and then I went back in after lunch and I studied for four more hours. I had a system. I did it every single day until it was time for me to go to Montgomery. That's where the bar exam was. Until it was time for me to go to Montgomery, there was another white guy there named Tom Corbett. He's one of the bankruptcy trustees here in Birmingham now. He was in the same situation. We both didn't have much, so Tom and I got together and said, we graduated together from law school. We weren't even really friends in law school, but we were friends, we were friends in need at that point. So we said we were going to share a hotel room. Now, I ain't, that, that was unusual for me because I'm married, <laughs> all right? I'm married, and I, but I had to be in Montgomery for two days, and I needed to cut the cost some kind of way. And so me and this white dude shared a room. That's all right. He's my friend to this day, all right? We took, we took the bar exam. When I walked out of the bar exam on the, on the third day, Mason, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I had no concern. I said, I passed this. You know why? Because there was nothing on the exam that I hadn't seen in my preparation. Nothing. In fact, it was almost like I was there when they were writing it out. All right? Now, it was a cockiness at that point, but it wasn't cockiness from ignorance. It was cockiness because I prepared like I was supposed to prepare. And when the results came, it validated that good work, hard work, sacrifice pays off. But it would not have happened if we hadn't sacrificed during that period of time. We had to discipline ourselves. I couldn't buy nothing. <laughs> A little gas every day to get to law school. We stayed in Northport. Um, but it worked out. I'm trying to tell you, I know what it feels like. What helped, what opened when I passed? Well, I went in the Army as a JAG officer. It changed, it was a difference in my career. It was the foundation for everything that I do right now was being able to sacrifice, Reggie, for that 60-day period in 1989. That made, in, in the beginning of 1989, that has made the difference in my 35-year legal career. That laid the foundation for me, preparation. Not even the law degree, it's that period of time.
focused me enough to be able to get it done. And I'm so grateful that the Lord let me, let me see what that can do for you. And I came to tell you right now, you got to sacrifice. You got to do something for somebody else. You got to prepare yourself and your family. And then the last thing is this, you need to know this, you can be too late. Oh, you can be too late. You can be too late. I found out the first time I took the bar exam, I was too late when I stopped working and tried to get it together. I had missed the opportunity to be able to prepare properly. I couldn't get it all in right. So I missed that opportunity and I came to tell you, according to this scripture, you can be too late. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that um, you, can lose your, you can lose your relationship with the Lord once you get it. Everybody in this, in this room right now is being issued the invitation. See, this is what we're missing. All right? You have to accept the invitation. Not just the issuance of it. Every preacher I know that's preaching today is going to issue an invitation. You can get the invitation and do nothing with it. You won't accept it. But there are going to be some people who are going to remember when it's too late all them sermons that folk used to preach. There are going to be somebody who didn't ever accept the, 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 the Bible study they got invited to. They're going to be too late to try to come in and the door will have been closed. It's going to be closed at some point. But that doesn't mean that God was not good or true to them because he's given them invitation after invitation. Can I tell you something? If you've been around here the last 20 years, there's been at least 1,040 invitations issued for somebody to join the body of Christ. The question is, after at least 1,040 invitations, you can't say nobody told you about it. The question is, did you accept him? Because you can be too late. We say all the time, don't wait. Too late to get your household straight. For the Lord is coming real soon. He's coming back real soon. If you hesitate, you may be making a big mistake. For he may come morning, night, or noon. He died for us. Have you accepted the sacrifice he made? He was resurrected for us. Have you accepted the gift of salvation that he gave through his blood? We're going to celebrate it in a moment. Have you accepted it? And then if you have, what are you doing to help somebody else? Learn and understand about it. I'm so glad I know that I got to be preparing. I want to use this all up. Whatever it is, whatever energies I got, I want to die moving. I want to die doing something. I want to die exhausted. I won't need this body on the other side. I'm going to wear it out. All right, I'm already getting replacement parts in certain areas. I'm just, I'm going to wear it out. Why? Because I'm going to get a new one. I'm going to get a new one. I'm going to get one that doesn't have arthritis. I'm going to get one that doesn't have two plates and 12 screws in it. I'm going to get one that doesn't have disease anywhere in it. 
No, no problems with cholesterol. No problems with blood pressure. No diabetes for anybody. None of those situations. Gout ain't in heaven. All right? All the things that we're talking about, you'll be able to see clearly and hear clearly and all the things that you thought were problematic. They'll be gone. And I love the fact that it'll be forever. Not, not for a little while. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be forever. You can go to church and chicken every day. I mean, come on now, what other restaurant would be in heaven but a... <laughs> Ain't that why they named the church's chicken? Come on, huh? Yeah, it's gonna be chicken like manna. You know, you can eat it all day long and they'll make some more for you the next day. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Are you ready? Still time. Still time to trim your lap. Still time to, to fuel up. Still time to get better. And the better you get, the more you can help somebody else. But if you've never, ever acknowledged or accepted the invitation, then today is the day. Now is the time. Some of us have been coming to church for a long time and have never really accepted the invitation. We've gotten behind embarrassment. We don't want anybody to know, but I came to tell you why, right now, there's nothing more embarrassing than missing heaven. Yeah. Forget about one day in church. How about eternity in heaven? Make sure you've accepted the invitation. All of our elders have come right now, and they're wishing that you come and join. If you've never joined before, then today is the day. The invitation is extended to you. I'm asking you to accept Christ's gift of eternal life. While the choir stands and sings this song with us, know that he died and now he lives for you. The doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let him come right now, right now, right now. We offer Christ to you, oh my brother. Yeah, we do. We, we offer.